If you've already sat, feel free to continue seating. <laughs> but that song, um, I sung when I was a lad. I remember before I even properly came to faith. And there's something powerful about those lyrics. That the God that we worship, who we believe made the heavens and the earth, is present with us by his spirit this morning. So we don't stand here for the sake of standing um, or just for routine, but because the God that we worship is real, is living, and is here. So can we just stand in that God's presence and ask that all the stuff we say and do won't just be there for the sake of it, but will be real life transformation. Jesus, we are here, and we know you are too. God, as we um, come to explore this, this story of the transfiguration of, of, of what happened to Jesus when he shone before three of his special disciples, we pray that you will speak so clearly through this story. Show us something new. Excite us about our faith. All the bumbling stuff I say as well. Take um, what is good and what is pleasing and what you have prepared and, and, and use that. May the other stuff fall away. For your glory and your sake. Amen. Please take a seat. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're looking at Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 to 13, including, continuing sorry, this series, um, looking at the radical Jesus in Matthew's gospel. We explored it previously, as you remember, last year and continuing this now. Not radical in the sense of being radicalized, like that language can often be misused today, but radical in the sense of the Latin root, which is to go back to the root of of everything we believe. What is the root of the Christian faith Jesus? And what was so different about Jesus is that he stood out in this world, right? The way he lived, the things he said, he stood out. He was radical in comparison to the rest of this world. So Matthew 17 1 to 13. Here the text says, um, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, 
Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. I need to um, ask a favor before I go on and open this passage with you, hopefully, and explore it. Can you just do me a favor and say these words, stop, Ross, all at once, one, two, three, stop, Ross. If you see me at any point, and I know there's a sadistic side of you that would want this to happen, but drifting towards the baptistry, (laughs) please, please shout that out, because I've got this horrible fear that I'll fall in, this will explode, we'll all die, and it'll be a horrible night. So, stop, Ross, if you see me drifting anywhere near the baptistry, all right? Although this is battery-powered, so how this explodes will probably be a miracle. I don't know about you, but I'm a real sucker for customer reviews. I'm obsessed with them. Like, literally, I won't buy anything on the internet unless I've seen it's got reviews. And I'm not talking, you know, you get drawn into the customer reviews at times, don't you? They've got five stars, and you go, wow, five-star reviews, look at them. And then you see it's five five-star reviews, and there's 150 reviews that have been made about this product. And also, I'm one of those people where I'll always look at the two-star review because I want to make sure that I know exactly what is wrong with this product before I buy it, buy it, Right? But the problem with this, I find, is that those who endorse these particular products aren't always the most trustworthy or reliable of sources. If you've ever read customer reviews, you know what I'm talking about. Let me give you an example. I typed in funny customer reviews into Google, and this one came up um, from Amazon. There was one gallon of Tuscan whole milk. No one knows what that product is, but people bought it. A fair amount of people bought it for $45. For one gallon of Tuscan whole milk, the world is crazy. But this one person, I think with a hint of sarcasm, said this. Some may call this product simply milk, but that is a woeful and shameful label to paste upon this intoxicating beverage. This elixir must have been gently drawn from the teeth of an angel by trained unicorns. I actually poured some on my Rice Krispies, and instead of hearing snap, crackle, and pop, I was instead treated to a vocal arrangement of Handel's Messiah. Yes, you can only, I'm going on, this was brilliant. Yes, you can only get a gallon's worth for your $45, but a little goes a long way. You will find that a simple one-ounce portion is enough to soothe the soul and mend broken bones. Some people also carry a thimbleful to ward off demons and angry trolls. But a word of warning, ensure that the container is placed in its own refrigerator it does not tolerate the presence, presence of lesser liquids well and has been known to banish them to hell. <laughs> Isn't that absolutely brilliant? You know firmly that person has got far too much time on their hand if they can spend that much time writing a review. And again, in this theme of not trusting those who would endorse certain products, there was a brilliant story recently. Have you heard of the, um, the shed at Dulwich? Anyone heard of this? It was basically, yeah, it was a shed that got top ratings um, on TripAdvisor in London. How did he do it? The guy was called Obar Butler, and basically for for £10, he was asked by restaurant owners to put a fake review on TripAdvisor to um, encourage people to go. He would say how great the food was, how great the restaurant was, without actually having ever been there. £10 review. So he realized it was a bit of a false economy behind TripAdvisor. So in order to exploit this, he created a fake restaurant. He put his shed 
that he had in his back garden that he was living in at the time. I thought that was a bit harsh of his parents. But he made a website for it. You'll see in the behind me. If I can have the one up previously. You've given the game away, Colin, with that one. That's the wonderful picture of his website. You will see the fantastic food laid out. Doesn't that look delicious? What it actually is, if we can have the next photo, is urinal cakes, uh, <laughs> foam, uh, and, and, and chili flakes, all manner of things. So he had this on Facebook and the website, and then he got all his friends to put up these fake reviews saying how great this, this website was, how great this restaurant was. It's the coolest thing in London. And rather than selling food and, and general menus, he wanted a weird, quirky, hipster thing that would suit people in London. So he sold you not normal food recipes, but emotions. How were you feeling that day? You could get a recipe suited to that emotion. He built it all up. He had hundreds and hundreds of people phoning him up and trying to book something at his particular... It didn't exist. It didn't exist. This went on for months. He made fake food, and eventually he got to the top-rated restaurant on TripAdvisor in the whole of London. If that tells you anything about TripAdvisor, I don't know what will. You cannot always trust the sources that endorse particular products. But then we don't just look for endorsement in regards to, to products, right, and things, but in regards to people. You know, so often the friends we meet or the people that we trust and instantly get on with, you maybe had a conversation with someone previously, I was, I was talking to James about this earlier, who said to you, oh, do you know what, Jim, fantastic guy, instantly your mind, they've been endorsed, therefore you're naturally going to find you might get on, it on better with them, right? The reason you listen to me is... is is hopefully because you see that my life has been transformed by God and his spirit. But also I can imagine, you know, I'm a minister. Therefore, I'm, I'm endorsed by the Baptist Union of Great Britain. So would have gone through some kind of training to, believe it or not, take off the rough edges. Uh, and then Mutley Baptist Church, you guys have endorsed me. So if you don't like what I'm saying this morning, go to Clive and uh, he can take the punishment for that. But you've endorsed me as, as, as a speaker and therefore you'd be willing to listen to me because of that. You wouldn't just walk into a random house with someone wielding a knife and go, do you know what, can you cut me open and do surgery? You would go to a hospital where you would find a surgeon, again, endorsed by the right governing bodies. We don't trust things or people until we know that they've been endorsed um, by reliable sources in some way, right? Would you, would you get on board with that? And I think people when they were seeing Jesus for the first time, would be looking for a similar kind of endorsement. Because here you have um, a common working-class man, uh, son of, of a carpenter, refugee background, walking around, nothing particularly special, we're told in Isaiah, about the way he came across. And yet he made these radical claims about God. He claimed that God was his father, daddy, you can't claim that, mate. Who are you to make that kind of claim about the God of the universe? The God that we don't even name. And yet you're saying he is your father, he is your daddy, and talking about him with such intimate language. Claims to be the Messiah, the chosen one of God. Some would even say he's chosen, he claimed to be God himself. All these radical claims. Who is endorsing Jesus? Who is giving him the right to say these things? And what we see in this story of transfiguration is the beauty that the one endorsing Jesus is none other than God himself. If you have your Bibles with you, Peter um, puts it beautifully. I discovered this this week in, in researching this passage. 2 Peter, uh, verse chapter 1, sorry, verse 16 to 18. And 
And here Peter says about this particular occasion when he witnessed the transfiguration, because there's only three disciples, Peter, James, and John, best of buds, good friends to Jesus, stood there and witnessed this. He said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. What an incredible testimony. Peter saw with his own eyes this moment in which Jesus was transfigured and endorsed by the God who made the heavens and the earth, his, his very Father, Jesus, the Son of God, his Father endorsing him. And God seems to endorse Jesus in, 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 a, in various ways in this particular scene. The first is that Jesus is transfigured into shining light, instantly letting the disciples know and let him know that something is going on in this moment that moves beyond the natural. Something supernatural is happening in this moment. And suddenly Jesus is, I love the way um, he puts it in, in, in the Gospels. He's just like he's talking to Elijah and Moses. These two prophets who have been dead for a long time are suddenly standing next to Jesus, just entering into casual conversation. But these are two pillars of the Jewish tradition, the great narrative they've been t- telling for generations and confirm that this Jesus who is standing before them is in line with the law and with the prophets of the Jewish faith. He's not some random crazy nomad preaching weird messages, but he is in line. He is endorsed by the tradition that he is following. And out of nowhere, this cloud kind of appears over Jesus. If you look at throughout the Old Testament, a clear sign of divinity, when God is speaking or doing something, so often a cloud um, descends. And out of that, from the heavens, we hear these words, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Three times in the Gospels does God audibly talk from, from heaven. And on two of those occasions, he uses exactly the same words. Anyone know the first time? Baptism. Yeah, 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 absolutely. During his baptism, God speaks from the heavens, his heavenly Father, and says to Jesus, This is my Son, whom I am pleased with him. Sorry, who I love with him. I am well pleased. Everything Jesus has done and said previously and everything he is going on to do later is validated, given authority, endorsed in this moment because we're not talking about some dodgy source on Amazon, some weird review, some guy who can, who can trick, trip advisor even. We're talking about the God of the universe is endorsing this Jesus and his message and all the things he is doing. You know, it was um, Pete Gregg. I've been going on about, on about his book for, for months, and in sermons you've had to hear me talk about Pete Gregg and Dirty Glory. I would continue to recommend that book to you. Everyone who's read it has said that it's transformed the way they pray and their understanding of God. But he makes this incredible comment. He says that in these two occasions, the three occasions in which, as I said earlier, God speaks from the heavens, two of them, he's telling Jesus that he loves him and is proud of him. He says that God could have chosen in that moment to say all manner of things. He could have told the disciples exactly what he wanted them to do. He could have told them more about who Jesus is, about what God's plans are. He could have preached judgment or love or any manner of things. But what does he choose to say in those moments but to tell his son how much he loves him and how proud he is of him? 
If you ever wanted a picture into God to see what this God that we worship is like, that is surely it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we don't worship some lonely God who sits up in the heavens somehow uh, forging his, his creation and doing all kinds of weird things, bored and lonely, messing with humanity. We worship a family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They love one another, three persons, but of one substance. They are all the same person. They are all the same being, but of three persons, different personalities in relationship. They love each other. And the beauty of the Christian faith is because of what Jesus has done, we are welcomed into that family. We are adopted into that family. And I don't know about you, but for me, adoption is one of the most beautiful things in the entire world. Adoption is an incredibly beautiful process to see take place. We saw Naomi and Steve coming in um, earlier into the service, and they recently adopted um, a little child. Beautiful. But that child, who would have otherwise been given no hope necessarily or, or, or no family, is suddenly welcomed into a family and made whole, given a chance for the future. That is what God does for us. Every single one of us is welcomed into that love that the Trinity have for each other, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loving each other, and we are welcomed into that relationship because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus went on from this moment of transfiguration to be brutally murdered, placed um, on a cross, the, the, the crucifixion, the most brutal crucifixion thought up by, by the Romans in order to humiliate those placed upon it. He died a slow and painful death. Three days later, he rose again. And that act, which seemed like a great demonstration of weakness and powerlessness, suddenly gained strength and power because in that, Jesus defeated sin and death, cleared away that cancer of sin that infects this whole world and made a way for us to have a relationship with God. In other words, we were able to become children of God. So we have a Father who sits up in heaven and says, I love you and I am proud of you. Romans 8. Verse 15 to 17, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, Father and children. We can't get anything right um, in the Christian faith in our own lives, I believe, until we acknowledge this truth, that we are children of the living God. We have done this because that is what Jesus did um, on the cross in that incredible act endorsed by the God who made the whole universe. So I want to ask you two questions. Do you trust God's endorsement? And do you trust Jesus, the one endorsed by God? could be your first time here this morning. Um, and I don't know about you, but I say that far too much. I don't know about you. If I say that, wag your finger at me and I'll stop saying it. But earlier, watching the baptism, what a beautiful example of what this God can do in someone's life, right? And I don't know if it's your first time in church or maybe you've come back after a long time. You have all kinds of understandings of what you believe Christians to be like, what you, what you hear church is like. And it can get so complicated, can't it? Surrounded by so many theological terms and weird Christianese language. And yet the pure reality is that we worship a God who made a way for us to be children of God and therefore have our lives transformed, not just 
eternally, but also now on this earth? Is there anything worth trusting more, anyone worth trusting more than the Jesus who made this possible? Let's pray. And in the time of quiet, I'd like to encourage you just to ask that question sincerely of God in this moment. And if you don't know him or don't even believe in God, then what have you got to lose? Say a prayer. If he's real, he'll show himself to you. Do you trust the one endorsed by God? Do you trust Jesus, the very Son of God, who made a way for us to be children of God? Father, I pray for um, all of us here as we go out this week on into our regular, difficult, challenging, maybe joyful at times, potentially boring at times, weeks. And I pray for all the storms that we may face, all the um, ups and downs of emotions, the difficult, um, can't see beyond this wall kind of moments. And we pray that when life feels overwhelming, when everything is getting out of perspective, that we will remember that we are children of God, that there is a God who loves us, who is proud of us, the same words that you said to your son. And that surely the one who made a way for us to have life eternal can get us through the situation that we're facing. May we trust you, Jesus, in everything, with everything. May we trust you more than the false realities and sources that we place so much trust in in this life. And for those of us who don't know you this morning, we pray um, that even in this moment of quiet and reflection, that you will touch their hearts and let them know that whatever has gone before doesn't have to be the future, but that you can change the story and create something beautiful with the broken. We love you. We love you because you loved us. 
and then um, 